Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Planting. Good morning, church. Please be seated. Come on, VLC. Good morning. Oh, it's great to be here. It's great to be with you. So excited to join you today. My name is Frank Trotta, and I'm a pastor and a missionary with Love Life, as Pastor Ron said. And uh, let me just say, we're, we're excited to be a part of this family. And, and just as a, as a moment of encouragement, let me just say this. Let me begin by saying thank you. Thank you to the Love Life family. Thank you to the VLC family. Thank you to Pastor Ron and Pastor Jacob for leading your people with courage, for leading your people with boldness, and, and not just to stand for life, but to take, to shepherd your people, to disciple them to the hard places, to the dark places. And we are grateful for that. And we thank you that we can be here today and just be a part of what God is doing here at VLC. So let me begin by saying that what we do today is no small thing. Studying the word of God together is significant. See, God is looking to do something. He's looking to confront you and to comfort you by his word and through his spirit. So let's take a moment then. Let us pray and ask God to help us with that endeavor. Father, we're so grateful for today. Lord, thankful that we have the privilege to be trained by you, to be taught by you, to be challenged and changed by your word. And we pray that today, Father, you would just help us remove some of the distractions and the things that are pulling at us this morning and allow our hearts to hone in on what your spirit has already said to us through your word. May we leave here just a bit differently than when we got here. And Father, we ask you to do this simply because we know that you love us and that you can. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's, there's a simple phrase about compassion that's been around a long time. There's a simple phrase about compassion that's, that's part of an old story. It's part of a famous story. Little children are taught it. Even adults, they kind of misunderstand its simplicity. And so many people disregard this and they categorize it. This command by Jesus. It's actually two commands. It's, and, and this command by Jesus may solve most of the world's problems. Pastor and author Francis Chan said this about what Jesus said. Do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it's about loving God and loving the people he has made? In fact, this four-word statement, to love God and to love neighbor, compiles and fulfills everything that God has called us to do. Everything. Love God and love neighbor. And today's passage, where we're going to spend our time this morning, it's found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to spend time in Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 10 this morning. So if you would, take your Bibles out, make your way to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 25 through 37. But as you're doing that, let me, just, let me just lay some context as you're making your way to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Because understanding context is significant to understanding what it is that God wants to tell us, what it is that the scriptures say. See, the passage that we're in this morning, it's a parable. This is, this is a parable that Jesus told, and it's important to understand that parables, they're not just simply illustrations. They're not just plain stories or plain illustrations. They are word pictures. They're comparisons that contain within them this deeper, richer meaning that Jesus is trying to convey to his audience then and to his audience today. The nature of parables is that we have to wrestle with them a bit because they come alongside the truth. So that's where we're going to be this morning. And today's parable is a biting story by Jesus. Today's parable is going to share with us a lot of information. There's a ton in there, but we're going to hone in on this one truth. We're going to focus in and laser in on Jesus' command, and we're going to answer the question of who is my neighbor and what does it look like to love them? You see, as the crowds grew, Jesus' opposition grew as well. And parables served to separate the serious from the curious. See, the serious, they would hear that truth and they would get it. 
they would pick up on exactly what Jesus was saying. The curious would hear the same exact truth, but they wouldn't get it because they didn't want to to begin with. The crowds grew because they liked Jesus' free food. The crowds grew because they liked Jesus' miracles and the show he put on and things he was doing. And the crowds grew. So Jesus used parables to separate and sift through those who were serious and those who were curious. In Luke chapter 10, where we find ourselves this morning, is in 25 through 37. So let's take a moment, if you would. And I know how much VLC reveres the word of God. So if you're able, please stand with me. I'm going to read through those passages, those sentences, and you just track along with me as we give honor to God's word. This is chapter 10 in the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who were stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, passed by on the other side. Likewise, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Amen. And please be seated. So the man who asked the question in this parable, and, and you might be thinking, yeah, you know, this is, this, is your, this is your launch Sunday. So this is the week that Victory Life Church has adopted with Love Life. And many of you know that as you, you journeyed with us last year and you adopted a week last year and you came out to the prayer walk and you were part of praying for the unborn, praying for the moms and dads that were abortion-minded. So, so this week is that adoption week. So you're thinking, all right, well, we're praying for the unborn. This is about saving lives. So, so what does that have to do with loving my neighbor? Oh, you'll see. In this passage, there's actually two questions that are being asked. The first question you find in verse 25. The second one is in verse 29, and we'll get there in a moment. But we're going to look at what led up to Jesus' story, and not only what led up to it, but the story itself and why he's communicating what he's saying. So we just read verses 25 through 39 in that passage. And the man here is identified as a lawyer. And that's important for context because lawyers here, man, these, these were experts in the Mosaic law. These were ones who were the elite of the crowd. These were the best and the brightest of the Jewish nation. So Jesus is answering this lawyer's first question. And, and now, although it's posed as a question, it's kind of veiled as a question. It's more like a challenge. And you'll see that as you look at the text because, man, most of your translations will read here to test Jesus. You see, there's an underlying attitude. There's an underlying intention by this lawyer, by this questioner. So it's not just merely a question. This is a challenge to Jesus. And this is something that's not new to Jesus too, right? I mean, you can recall in the scriptures how this happens from time to time, how this question, people question him, but their intention, their motive is something different. It's not new for him. If you look at the New Testament, the landscape of the New Testament, you see people oftentimes the leaders of the Jewish nation, the religious leaders, often trying to trip him up, often trying to confuse him, often trying to make Jesus stumble upon his own words, oftentimes incessantly asking him question after question to trap him. Time and time again, Jesus simply baffles them, right? Jesus simply confounds them. So if you recall, looking at the New Testament, in a similar situation by other group of leaders, man, they brought a question to Jesus. They thought they were really smart, 
And they brought a question to Jesus and asked, hey, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the Romans? Like, remember that question? Yeah, well, that's, that's important for context also because that question for Israel was a fire starter. You see, Roman, the Roman nation was an occupying force in Israel. And, and they were paying taxes. Israel was paying taxes to them. So this, for them, is an explosive issue in Israel. So they asked Jesus that question for a reason. Because if Jesus says no, no, don't pay taxes to the Romans, then he's guilty of insurrection. Then he's guilty of breaking the law. And if Jesus says yes to answering that question, then he's siding with the Romans. And the people who are already tax burdened are going to feel worse. So the leaders are like, oh, we got him now. If he says no, we got him. If he says yes, we got him. But look what Jesus did. How did Jesus respond in that situation? He throws the question back at them, doesn't he? Remember what he asked them. After they asked him this question, they're wringing their hands thinking they got him. Jesus asked them, so whose image is on that coin? And they respond, Caesar. He said, well, all right, if it's Caesar, give Caesar to what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And what we want to see in that is that in Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, Jesus responds, and when they heard it, they marveled. They marveled at his response and they left him and went away. I mean, like, they were so stupefied by Jesus' response. They were so dumbfounded by how Jesus responded that their only issue, they turned tail and ran. That's what they did. This is how Jesus responds. And in our passage today, I mean, they think, you would think after a while that, 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 that they're getting uh, embarrassed every time they ask him a question. They would stop, but no. Luke accounts for us in his passage this morning that they tried again. They ask him another question. And again, Jesus is going to redirect their question back on their own heads. So as we look at the text this morning, we see Jesus um, not only skillfully turns the questioners into the ones looking for the answers all of a sudden, but here he's going to put himself in a position of evaluating the lawyer's answer as opposed to the other way around. So as we look at this parable, see what's happening. See what Jesus is doing to those that wish to, to bring about something deceitful. See how he's responding here. So the question that they have, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, it's not a bad question. That's a good question. That's about life. That's about eternal life. How do I get to the kingdom of heaven? Not a bad question again. It's the intention of the questioner that's the problem. Jesus points them now to the Old Testament. He points them to the Old Testament, to the Mosaic law, which they already know. And he points them there for the answer. And he says, what does your law say? And in verse 27, we read, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer quotes, firstly, as an expert in the Mosaic law, the lawyer quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got. With your whole person, you love God that way. And then he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer's got the right answer. Love God and love your neighbor. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus adds some perspective for us. This is why what Jesus is saying is so significant. This is what Jesus says, because on those two things, on those two commands, hang all of the law and all of the prophets right there. Everything is hanging on those two things. Jesus says, you're right. Fantastic, Mr. Lawyer. You got the answer. You've got it in your head. Now go and do it. Like, like you know what to do. You know what God said. Now the case is just go and do what God said. Apparently, that wasn't clear enough for this brilliant lawyer. Apparently, it wasn't clear enough for him. Because if you look at verse 29, all of a sudden, desiring to justify himself, this is the lawyer, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So that's the second question, right? So here we see this person's now insincere, even his deceptive intention kind of bubbling to the surface. He was trying to evade responsibility. This is what he was trying to do. And the ESV Bible, the study Bible, if you have that, notes this and says it brilliantly. This is an improper question. He should have asked, how can I be a loving neighbor? Not, 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 not who is my neighbor? But how can I be a loving neighbor is the proper question to have asked. See, the lawyer was looking for the least amount of obedience necessary to get by, necessary to be acceptable. And some of you are wincing because you know exactly what this is like, right? Like, this is not, it's not foreign to us, is it? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's like if you were in school and you're like, what do I need to get on this test just to pass the class? Like, do I need a 71? If I get a 71, then I'll pass it. So I'm just going to shoot for the lowest possible thing to get so I can pass. I mean, that's, this is what this lawyer is doing. It's not very unfamiliar to us. He was trying to make himself look better. Even righteous, being able to avoid certain responsibilities, certain people we're going to see in a moment. I mean, it's like when we say, well, you know, what I said was mostly true, right? Like, like what are we doing when we do that? When we say, what I said was mostly true, we're trying to make ourselves look better. We're trying to evade certain responsibility when we say that. Look, like, no one, no one really knows. Like, like, they didn't see it, so no one knows. It, it's not hurting anybody. They don't know. What are we trying to do? Not so much different than what this lawyer was trying to do. And this isn't foreign to the scriptures. This is, not, this is not just something that's isolated to the New Testament. This starts all the way at the beginning, all the way back, all the way back in Genesis. Remember, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. They did what God commanded them not to do, and they did it. God looks for Adam in the garden. God always looks for the head. He goes to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? And they have this conversation, what have you done? And what does Adam do? Well, the woman, the woman you gave me. Right? And then just go a few pages further. And Cain and Abel, God goes to Cain and says, where is your brother? He's like, am I my brother's keeper? And God looks at, Abel and, and looks at Cain and says, what have you done? Your brother's blood screams to me from the ground. Hold on to that thought. But again, Cain there is trying to evade responsibility. Now, someone has said, man, if there's a neighbor I must love, is, is there also a non-neighbor that I don't have to love? Like, like do I have to love everybody? Where, where do I draw the line on this? You see, we live in a world, we live in a culture that the epidemic is a lack of compassion. I mean, aside from disease and all the other things, the epidemic is a lack of compassion. That's the kind of world and culture that we live in. So Jesus, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really understanding who exactly, can you like be specific? Who exactly is my neighbor? Like, can you identify him for me? See, this is not an obscure issue. This is not a small thing or peripheral idea in the scriptures. It's central. This is a command. This, my friends, is what it looks like to be a Christian to love God and to love your neighbor. Galatians 5.14, Paul writes, for the whole law can be summed up on this command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then John writes in his gospel, a new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. This is not a peripheral idea. So what does it mean? What, is it, what does it look like? What does it mean to love your neighbor? I mean, that's the question that Jesus was asked, and that's the one that looms before you and I today. So what did Jesus do? Well, how did he respond? What did he do? I mean, he told the story, right? You guys like stories? Amen. Great. Jesus does too. And he tells a story here in response to the inquiry. And there's something we've got to know. So, so if, if you're thinking about how Jesus tells stories, there's something we have to know before we look at this one. That, that in the Gospels, when we see in the Gospels that Jesus answers someone or a crowd by either asking a question or by telling a story. If he answers you by asking a question, if Jesus answers you by telling a story, man, heads up because someone is about to get it. Like, 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 hold on, because Jesus is about to make a point. So don't miss this. And in verse 30 in the scriptures, this is what we see. Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So let's, let's stop there for a moment. As we, as we focus on this parable and read, there's a lot happening, but again, we're going to hone in on this loving God and loving your neighbor here. Jerusalem to Jericho, that's, that's a big deal. That's a 17, 18-mile trek through the Badlands, as it were. This is a descent into Jericho from Jerusalem. That is a road that was, that was tough. That was a road that was treacherous, often occupied by thieves. Um, people would hide in caves to pillage and, and, and take from and rob weary travelers. That's what that road was like. It was a famous road for that. And this man was traveling down there. And this traveler, I mean, Jesus doesn't specify who this guy is. He doesn't tell you his background. He doesn't give you his job. He doesn't tell you his race. Because 
That's not important. <laughs> Amen. This, this was a person, a human being. That's the point. This man fell into a precarious situation. I mean, no doubt, I mean, it was perilous. I mean, you could even say it was life and death. You can even say that as this man is walking, as this man is, is traveling down this road, he falls into the situation unexpected by him to a point of where he's about to die. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, there's a place in our city like that. There's several places in our city like that. Oh, we'll get there. Hold on. We'll get there. They stripped him. They beat him. They left him for dead. This, this man, half dead, in the ditch, on the side of the road, he has no help. He sees no hope. He has no options. At least he doesn't see them. And in verses 31 through 33 of that passage, the, the characters now start to come into play. The character that Jesus uses in the story, um, and, and by the way, the characters that he used would send shockwaves through the audience. I mean, we don't get that feeling being a little distant from the story, but the people that Jesus uses to portray this story would send shockwaves through that audience. Let's take them one at a time. Let's look at these guys. The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Let's take them one at a time. Starting in verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now Jesus here, he, he includes the best and the brightest of the Jewish culture. See what Jesus is doing. Look beyond the surface and see the embedded truth. Jesus is using the best of, 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 of Israel. The brightest, well, the most respected, the most feared, however you want to look at that. He's using these as the bad guys. That's like today, us using, I don't know, Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham as the villain in the story. I mean, I like Spurgeon and Graham. Maybe you guys, I don't know, you want to use Tim Tebow, Timmy as the bad guy. But, but that's like using one of the good guys as the bad guy in the story. Then Jesus has the audacity. He, he has the, the sheer audacity to make the Samaritan... The hated one. I mean, they were called half-breeds. The Jews didn't even walk into Samaria because they didn't want to soil their shoes. They would walk around Samaria. That's who Jesus uses as the good guy. Jesus, what are you doing? Character one, the priest. The priest who served in the temple, like the one who stands in the holies of holy, the one who serves the living God in the temple, this priest, the most likely to help. Surely, surely he's going to stop and he's going he's to offer some assistance, right? But Jesus said, he passed by on the other side. See, the priest saw him. And ignored the desperate man. The priest chose not to love the one in need. The priest chose to drive down Broward Boulevard and not look to the right side where that abortion clinic is. The priest saw him in the ditch and left him there. Character number two. There's hope. Hold on. Character number two. This is a Levite. Right? This is a member of the tribe of Levi. This is the one who assists the priest in all the services of the temple. Surely, certainly, this one who knows how to serve, who does that as his daily practice, is going to stop and serve this man who's in the ditch. This dying man. But Jesus says, he passed by on the other side. The Levite chose not to help. He chose not to love. Now, Jesus says nothing of their motives. Did you notice that? He doesn't say anything of, of the motives. I mean, I mean, maybe the Levite had to go to his son's soccer game. Maybe, maybe the priest had to, had to scroll through his iPhone. I don't know. But he's focusing his attention on the unloving actions. He's focusing his attention on their lack of compassion. Character number three. That's the next verse. Look with me. Verse 33. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him. 
Now you've got their attention, Jesus. Now, now, now everybody's looking at you. Some cross-eyed, but they're looking at you. You've got their attention. The Jews' hatred for the Samaritans is well known, as we talked about. Jesus, you've got their attention. So now, this is how Jesus is going to define loving your neighbor. He's going to define it for us in this story. It's showing compassion to the one in need. Showing compassion to the one in need. The great preacher and professor Haddon Robinson said, Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see and whose need you're able to meet. Let me say that again. Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see and whose need you're able to meet. Well, well what, what, what did he do? What, what did the Samaritan do that caught their attention? Where, where was he? What did he do? Jesus said he did three things. Notice the text. I'm not making this up. He came to where he was. He saw him and he had compassion on him. So, you know, sometimes I, I look at the scriptures and I kind of wish Jesus would be just a little more clearer on some things. That, that just more. Are you serious? He, he went to the man. He saw the need. He had compassion. And then he did something about it. Man, this compassion that we see in the original language, in the Greek, this is a deep, guttural pity. This is a, this is a deep, profound um, yearning to help, to do something. The neighbor was someone in need. And at Love Life, we're very big on this, that everyone can do something. Everyone can certainly pray. Some can certainly give. And, and some can certainly serve in a variety of capacities. Everyone can do something. Jesus said, this man did something. Well, we're going to look at what he did specifically. But notice with me, this neighbor had more to do with proximity than it had to do with a particular person. You get me? You understand what I'm saying? This neighbor that he found had more to do with where he was located than who it was or, or what was going on or what got him into those circumstances to begin with. That's important. Our neighbor thus is anyone within our own proximity with whom we can share God's love, with whom we're called to show compassion. That's our neighbor. That's my neighbor. We love those whom God places in our path. And Jesus' answer to the Pharisees that day, his answer to the religious leaders that day, and his answer to us today is his answer to religion. It's not checking the box. It's not going through the motions. It is showing the love of Christ to someone because they need it. Because you have been shown the love of Christ. Because I have been shown the love of Christ. Loving your neighbor meant compassion that led to action. The Good Samaritan, the least likely of the three, the least likely individual to help, didn't ignore the need, he didn't walk away from it. He wasn't, he wasn't distracted by it. He didn't say, well, well, you know, look, it's this guy's fault. Like, everybody knows that road is bad. Like, why would he walk? That's the dumbest thing. He, could. he didn't say that. He didn't say any of that. Remember who Jesus is speaking to here. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the day. He's speaking to those who should know better. He's speaking to those that talk a good game but don't walk one. He's speaking to those that, that man, they didn't do either of these commands they, they didn't love God. They loved their rules about God. I mean, they didn't love their neighbor. They burdened their neighbor. They burdened them with rules. They burdened them with do this and don't do that, but they didn't love them. No, no, no. Everything hangs on these two things. Love me and love them. Love God and love neighbor. Samaritan sees the need and has compassion. I mean, I've driven down Broward Boulevard a thousand times. Went to high school locally, drove down. I had no idea it was there. And to be perfectly honest with you, I probably didn't care at some points in my life that that was there. There are seven abortion centers in Broward County. So what we say is that we know of a place and a time where people are scheduled to die. That's not over-dramatization. That is a reality of the world that we live in. That's a reality of your city and mine. That we know of a place where people are scheduled to die. 
I'm not going to the Rotary Club with this message. I'm not going to the Kiwanis Club with this message. I'm coming to the church, to the city set on a hill, to the light and the darkness, to the ones that carry the message of hope, to the ones that carry the only message of hope, the church. Church, there's a place where you can go. You want to know where the hurting people are. You want to know where the ones that go that, that feel like they have no choice, that, can, that, that can't work their way through the confusion, that need a message of hope, that need a message of encouragement, that need to hear about Jesus. You want to know where to go? Oh, I've got some seven places for you to send. They did something about what they saw. He did something about what he saw in verses 34 and 35. The Samaritan sees the need and has compassion He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, in verse 35, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I mean, the Samaritan begins to minister to the man in the ditch. This is, this is what we see, that the Samaritan's compassion, it's not only contrasted with the unloving actions of the others, but his compassion led him somewhere. It led him to do something. It led him to action. I mean, his compassion led the Samaritan to take action to help the one suffering, to help the one forgotten. And make no mistake, all cards on the table. Love Life wants your heart, the heart of the church, to help the ones that need it. You have the message of Christ. You have the only message that changes hearts. And there are people, my friends, that need to hear it. Our mission is to mobilize the church, to create a culture of love and life, to bring an end to this abortion crisis and to the crisis of orphan care, to mobilize the body of Christ, the armies of the living God. Here, he ministers to the one in need, this is genuine love for his neighbor. So, so what he did was he bound up wounds and he set him on his own animal. Verse 35 kind of paints a picture. Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. <laughs> this is so good. I will pay for him. I will pay what he owes. Listen carefully. Do you hear echoes of the gospel there? Do you hear echoes of the gospel in, I will pay what he owes? Oh, my friends, you should. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Because there's a ditch in your city. There's a ditch that exists in our city. And, 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 and there are people in that ditch. I serve with this organization that stands on the side of the road. And we offer this hope to the hopeless. We offer this, this help to those that are broken, to those that are hurting, to those that are in need. And with an outstretched arm, Love Life offers the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church. You know what we do? We, call, we pr- proudly call this, we call it ditch ministry. Because the Bible says that you, you, you're to rescue those that are led to the slaughter. You're to hold back those that are being led to their death. I mean, this is, this is what it looks like to rescue those that are led to the slaughter. We live and work in an uncomfortable space. Nobody wants to be there. We don't want to be there. Those moms, those dads, those families, they don't want to be there. They see that as their only choice. They see it as, well, I, I, don't have, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know where to go, so I'm going to go there. They are running to the abortion center for their answers and their help. They are running to a place of death for their answers and their help. We want them to run to the place of life. We want them to run to the church. We want them to run to the great local church. We want them to run to your church. To be here among you. To be loved by you to be ministered to by you, and they'll love you back, and they'll minister to you as well. This is not political. It's not a fad. Politics and politicians will not change the culture. The church of Jesus Christ will change the culture. 
Look, and, and, and this, this isn't even extraordinary. This is not extraordinary work. It's loving your neighbor. It's, it's showing who Christ is to the ones who need to see it. See, the, the genuineness of the Samaritan's love here is evident. It's evident because we see, yes, it was inconvenient for him. I mean, I mean he, it would have been a lot easier to walk away. It would have been a lot easier to step to the other side of the road and do what the other religious leaders were doing. It would have been a lot easier to do that. It was tedious. Yes, it was tedious. I mean, he couldn't even ride his own animal. He had to walk the rest of the way. He put the other guy on the animal. This, this was tedious for him. Yes, it was costly. He paid for the supplies. Like he had the oil and the wine. So he probably wanted a drink by then, but he paid for the supplies, poured it on the guy. I mean, he bound up his wounds. He paid for the lodging. Listen, following Jesus will cost you something. It will cost you everything. And there was a cost here. But it was loving his neighbor. It was, it was an act of compassion. Man, as we close our time together, man, our Christian life hangs on loving God and loving people, loving our neighbor. There's a lot of good social things you can do out there. There's a lot of good um, humanitarian efforts you can be a part of. There's a lot of good philanthropic things that you can do, absolutely. But this, only a Christian can do. Only Christians are doing it. They have the message of the, of, of the hope of the gospel. Nobody else has that message. This is the work of the church. This is the work of the gospel. This is the work of the believer. So, so what does it look like? So let's get real practical. What does it look like to love your neighbor? Like, like what, what does it look like loving your neighbor? Well, it looks like treating your neighbor with compassion. It looks like praying for your neighbor. It looks like serving your neighbor. It looks like going to the place where your neighbor is hurt and needs help and ministering there to them. Jesus went to the places nobody else wanted to go. Jesus spoke to people that nobody else wanted to speak to. You don't believe me? He went and touched a leper. Who then was going to touch a leper? Who now was going to touch someone riddled with that disease? Jesus touched the leper, and if the scriptures say that when Jesus touched the leper, Jesus didn't get the disease, he cleansed the leper. Jesus spoke to people that nobody else wanted to speak to. The woman at the well went in the middle of the day carrying a water jug because she didn't want to be there with the other women. She went by herself, and Jesus takes his disciples, his, un his unknowing disciples, through a detour into Samaria to that well to talk to that woman. Showing compassion takes us sometimes to places where nobody else wants to go and talk to people that others don't want to talk to. You know, Samaritan told the innkeeper, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay. Compassion that led to action. I mean, look around you. You have neighbors that, that, that are hurting and maybe you have neighbors that are in the ditch and they need hope and they need help. They need Jesus. Whatever you choose to do, wherever you choose to go, may you find yourself having compassion in such a way that leads you to action. I mean, this, my friends, is the reality of what it means to be a Christian. And Jesus took my place on the cross. He paid for my sins on the cross. He paid a debt that I owe and I cannot repay. Jesus comes and finds us, found me, Maybe found some of you battered, beaten, broken, left in the ditch. And he pulled you out of the ditch. He extended his hand and lifted you out of the muck and the mire of this world. And that great exchange took place. He took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. He took your rebellion and he gave you his peace. Can someone in this house say that today? Can someone proclaim that? Man, if you're going to celebrate anything this morning, you celebrate that. That Jesus lifted you out of the ditch. See, salvation is free for me. It's free for you. It's a gift, right? We know that well from the scriptures. Jesus offers it as a free gift. But it wasn't free for Jesus. His suffering, his death, his 
joyful obedience to the Father, his voluntary death for the rebellious creature, that one was compassion that led to action. I mean, Jesus on the cross displays the very same compassion that he's telling these religious leaders about. Jesus on the cross is essentially saying, I will pay what you owe. It's my sin that kept him there. It's your sin that kept him there. And he chose to pay a price. His very life, his very blood. If you know Christ this morning, he has had compassion on you that has paid your debt. If you've turned from your sin and embraced Christ by faith, you've become a child of the living God with hope and help at your disposal, with the armies of living God looking over you, with the hand of God upon you, with a crowd this size, with a group this size, there are those among us that that maybe you're not a Christian today, maybe you're not a believer today. You got invited this morning, you came with a friend, maybe grandma brought you in, whatever the case, you're here. And you might be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing fine without Jesus. I mean, I had a couple, rough, rough couple years, but I'm doing good now. I'm, I'm doing fine without Jesus. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, you might think you can live fine without Christ, but you cannot afford to die without him. And we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We know that. Nobody needs to tell you that. Nobody needs to tell me that. I know where I come from. But God's grace is greater. The joy that he has over his children, the peace that he bestows upon those who seek it from him, the help at the very ends of his fingertips for you, for me, is immeasurable. We want to give that to those moms and those dads and those families who don't have it. We're going to invite you to come this Saturday. And there's going to be a table in the lobby. Go to that table. Register for that prayer walk. Why? Because it's love life? No. No. Because it's the gospel work. Because it's the help of Jesus. That's why because it's compassion in the believer that'll lead you to action. That's why. Because you'll be looking more like Christ than you ever did. That's why. Jesus says, come. I will pay it. I will redeem you. I will give you hope. I will be your help, come. That's the call of the scriptures. And what I love about Victory Life Church is that's the call of your church. That's the heart of your pastors. They want everyone to see Jesus. They want those out there to know Jesus. They want us to know Jesus better. I mean, that's why we work so well together. You want that peace. You want that help and that hope. You turn to Jesus today. There's no other place to find it. Turn to Christ. And like the Good Samaritan, Jesus' compassion is going to lead to action, although this time it will be for your salvation. So I'm going to close in a time of prayer. And this is between you and the Lord. You're going to do business with God. And after that, we're just going to transition into a moment where I'm going to share with you a thing or two about love life. Let us pray. Father. For those of you, for those of us that know you, Lord God, may you light that flame afresh in our hearts again. May you help us see with clear eyes and an unobscured mind the beauty of reflecting your son to the world around us. May you empower our hands. May you embolden our feet. May you fill our hearts. May you engage our minds that we would live in such a way that shows the world there is hope And there is help, and his name is Jesus. And Father, for those of us perhaps that are here that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would 
you would open their eyes and unveil their, their, their ears and they would hear and see the call of the living God. They would hear and see that there is hope in this world, but it's found in the one who sacrificed everything for us. I pray, Lord, that they would turn from their sin, that they would turn from their rebellion because it's only bringing them pain anyway. And they would embrace Jesus. They would, they would hold on to faith. They would hold on to the loving actions of the Savior who lived a perfect life, who came and voluntarily sacrificed himself on the cross, died there, shed his blood. And three days later, as the scriptures declare, he beautifully, spectacularly defeats the enemy, sin and death, so that heaven might be open for us. Thank you, Jesus. May you draw those unto you today. And we ask you to do this because we know that you can. And we ask it in your precious and beautiful name. Amen. Thank you. Love Life exists for this mission. And we partner with churches all over the city, all over. And, and it's not just this city. 15 cities around the country have Love Life chapters. Over 100,000 people have been on the prayer walks. Over 3,500 babies have been saved. Over 500 churches have adopted with Love Life. Yeah, celebrate what God is doing. Celebrate what God is doing. From the beginning of this year, just from the start of this year, five babies, five souls, five image bearers of God have been saved. My friends, this is work that only the church can do because of the tragic truth in our city is that there's nearly 10,000 abortions in Broward County every year. Something very significant that you need to know. Love Life cares for moms and dads and families from womb to tomb. Yes, to save the life of the baby, certainly to save the life of the baby, but we know and recognize that there's a more profound change that needs to happen, that needs to take place. People's hearts must change. People's hearts must see, man, this, this is a gift from God. This, this baby was weaved together in, in my womb. God created this life. It bears the image of Almighty God. And we know only the gospel does that. So we take the message of the gospel. This is why we call it a gospel ministry. It's not a bumper sticker for us. We call it a gospel ministry because we take the message of Jesus to them first and foremost. But that's the tragedy in our city. And there's a solution. The solution's found in Jesus. And Jesus is found in the people of God, in the church of God. So we call the church to come and join us. This Saturday, you'll hear about more of that in your, from your pastor in a moment too, but this Saturday at 9 o'clock right here, seven minutes away on Broward Boulevard. Many of you came out last year. We're grateful. Come back. Bring your families. This is not a protest, my friends. This is not a picket. This is not a march. This is a prayer walk. We literally do three things we pray, we walk, and we sing. And you might think, well, okay, so you, you pray. No, no, that's not the least you can do. That's the most you can do. That is, that is asking the one who created all things. That is asking the hand of the creator to move upon the earth. That is, that is calling the one who made the mountains, who put the stars in the sky. That is calling the one who holds your DNA together. Calling that one to move. Oswald Chambers said, Prayer, it doesn't prepare you for the great work. Prayer is the great work. So come with us. Come and pray. Come and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to share with you this two-minute video to give you just a, a picture of, of, of what that looks like. And, and the woman that you're going to see on there, the mom, Tatiana, you're going to meet Tatiana and her baby. That was the very first mom that chose life on the street with Love Life last year. We threw her a baby shower. We set her up with mentors, plugged her into the church, and at the end of the video, you will see that this mom, Tatiana, brought her baby, the one scheduled to die, brought her back to that place alive. And we celebrated that. There were pastors around her praying for us. And we know that you know this, VLC. We know that your church knows this. Your pastor, Ron, and your pastor, Jacob, you guys, you threw a baby shower for another mom. And you loved on her and you ministered to her. That was, that's your fruit, friends. That's fruit of your ministry, fruit of your lives. Man, what beautiful work. This is what the gospel looks like. This is what work in the world for Christ looks like. Check out this video. This would stop, that this would 
and that Florida would be seen, Lord God, that the Spirit of the Lord would be seen in Florida, that the church would rise up. He said you would hear from heaven and that you would heal our land. Heal our land beginning here in Broward County. to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.